Tony's probably one of the, from what I've seen in seven years on Facebook and online and researching and digging through websites and talking to other people, probably one of the foremost experts of, of exotic birds, uh, bird keeping, and, and maybe even wild birds. He's a curator or former curator of Laurel Park, eh, which I noticed had some wild birds in there, flamingos and that kind of thing. So we got a person here that, that really knows this stuff, and we're really um, I, I just really going to enjoy Tony uh, for more uh, conversations on Bird Talk Live Online over the next few 10 or 12 weeks that we're going to be on Voice America. And before we came on air, Tony talked to me about what he wanted to talk about tonight, and that was diet which he's really uh, gone over well and got into detail, great detail about. And we may not have time for questions tonight for Tony, but if you do have some questions, go ahead and PM me on my Facebook page on, at facebook.com slash Whisperer, and I'll try and get those over to Tony tonight. But in the future, we'll be looking at doing that more. When Tony's feeling better, because I understand he's a little under the weather tonight, so we're not going to keep him on air long. Um, but, Tony, I wanted to get on to what we talked about earlier about controlling aggression with diet and curing beak and feather disease with echinacea. A listening audience, Tony has uh, done a lot of holistic work with birds. You know, so let's get into aggression. I think one of the greatest problems um, that affect owners of cockatoos is aggression. The birds are fine, and then when they become four or five years old, they just, they, they go crazy and they attack. I think that we need to understand that we need to give these, these birds an environment that is very stable. We need to avoid changes in light period. We need to avoid giving them access to dark areas that they can perceive as a nest. And we need to give them a diet that, uh, for the case of cockatoos, for example, that can become very aggressive. We need to give them a fairly bland diet because the minute you start giving them wet foods, it triggers uh, a breeding urge. They're saying, oh, we're getting really good food. It's time we reproduce. They start looking for dark areas. They go under a couch, under a bed, and then... The next phase is the owner goes in there to pull the bird out and the bird attacks them. So when we deal with aggressive birds, we want to keep them in an environment that is very stable. We want to go ahead and eliminate anything that could be perceived as a nest. Absolutely no cardboard boxes. Um, I would say that if I look at um, 20% of the cases where I'm approached uh, about a cockatoo attacking the owner, in about 20% of the cases, the person read from someone that really has no experience on the Internet saying, oh, you need to give them a box. The darkness of a box induces uh, uh, the hormones to flourish. And what happens is these birds nest in tree cavities. They find a hole, and then they have to work at it for several weeks. As they're working on this, they're exposed to this darkness. Darkness induces the gonads in the ovaries to swell. That swelling releases hormones into the body. That's when the cockatoo starts to pace around to um, uh, produce uh, loud calls. 
especially a whaling call. They stomp their foot, they click their beaks. They really, they don't know how to handle this, this surge of hormones, and therefore they, they attack their owner when they think the owner is intruding in their territory. They normally defend the territory around their nest. So people convey the wrong signals. We also want to give them, if you see the bird is going into a breeding urge, that would be a time that I would put the bird on a maintenance pellet and I would eliminate um, all wet foods. I would give them no vegetables. I would give them, for example, uh, some millet, some finch seed, just to keep them busy and obviously a lot of enrichment. You don't want to go ahead and cover the cage to calm the bird down, but you want to keep it in an environment where the photo period, where the amount of light is about eight to 10 hours uh, without any fluctuation. Um, if you notice, uh, cockatoos, especially Moluccans and goffins will go crazy on a full moon. If your bird gets agitated, leave it chill, leave it calm, let it calm down. And certainly on a full moon or when a full moon is about to, to approach, be careful, be cautious. Look at body language. A cockatoo that's agitated is not a bird you want to go in and reach for. And this applies to all species, to Amazons. You also want to know what areas are off limits on their body. You don't want to rub a cockatoo's vent. You don't want to rub the back. You want to maintain all contact to the chest and the head. Why? Because the other areas are, are points that stimulate sexual activity. You start rubbing a female on the back, her tail's going to go up and she's going to begin to cackle. And this cackling is a way of conveying to the male, hey, I'm ready, I'm receptive to mate. Or you don't want to be grabbing the tail and stroking the tail on a male cockatoo or a male macaw that is, that is going to become sexually stimulated. So you need to understand, stable environment, eliminate any potential nest, reduce anything that is high in protein or wet from the diet, keep the diet at, at a basic level, and don't touch the bird in a way that it is stimulated. Very key points. If you follow this advice, you can control 80% of the aggressive birds. What I often read, and it just, you know, I've been an aviculturist for 43, 44 years. I've studied most parrots in the wild. I have bred probably more species than anybody else in North America. Um, and, and actually probably this hemisphere. Uh, because when I was at Laurel Park, we had the largest collection uh, ever assembled. I was breeding almost all species. So I've got a lot of experience with these birds. We've got multiple generations of some species in my, in my personal um, collection. And there's some that I work with because uh, I want to know more about them. Others because uh, we've got conservation programs for them. Uh, people are often surprised that Moloccan cockatoos and umbrella cockatoos, two common species in rescues, are doing really, really bad in the wild. I, I, I've traveled to Indonesia many times. And when you look at what's happening on some of these islands where everything, all the forest is being cut, these common birds here are really doing terrible over there. The problem is we've reared these birds to become problem birds because they believe they are a feathered human. I don't believe any bird uh, wants to be bad. I think we make them bad by 
teaching them to become a feathered humans. We have them right on our shoulders. We have them with us the whole time. We don't teach them to uh, evolve as a flock member, play with others of their kind, to understand that they, that they really have that beak to chew, to destroy. Uh, we give them enrichment. I, I, don't, I don't like to give my birds toys. I think toys are perfect. I just don't because we live in an area where we have enrichment. We have green coconuts that we can give to cockatoos. We have palm seeds that we can give to Amazons and macaws. And some palm seeds are fattier, so they would go to the macaws. Some that are lower in fat would go to the Amazons, for example. We have palm leaves. We have many things. We have moringa growing here. And moringa is probably one of the best sources of minerals uh, for birds, and it's a plant that is now sold commercially. It has high iron, but it's a vegetable-based iron, which means it's suitable for even adding to diets like of lorries, which are very susceptible to iron toxicity. We get moringa leaves, we get pods, we get branches, we grow them here, and that gives the birds a lot of a lot of natural behavior. It allows them to evolve. So if we would have allowed these chicks to grow up in a flock, to understand flocking, to understand their role within a flock, to understand foraging, I think we would see a lot fewer problem birds and rescues. And I think it is the responsibility of all breeders to rear these birds so that they don't think they are a human. Uh, They're not a feathered human. They have to understand they are a bird first and foremost, and then that they are a pet. Um, you know, we have uh, several tame birds that are our pets. I have a male eclectus that um, uh, is is a fantastic bird, but he knows he's a bird. If I give him a branch, he's going to play with that branch. He doesn't want to be on me. Uh, he's just as happy chewing away at a, at a split green coconut, which is fibrous and gives him a lot of exercise, as being on me. Now, when I can pick him up, I can handle him, I can, I can do lots to him. Uh, I take him to schools, uh, he talks, he dances, he, you know, he, he's learned many tricks, but he knows he's a bird. So if I'm busy and I don't have time for him, he's content at sitting and playing with his enrichment. I think these are things that in aviculture we have learned. Um, they are ever evolving and that they could make us have far healthier birds than, than that are mentally healthy than just having a bird sitting in a cage screaming, wanting to be with our humans. Now, some people say, well, you know, geez, I live in the Midwest or in New York, and I don't have all of this stuff. Really, you can collect pine cones throughout the year. You can give them willow branches. You can give them apple branches. You can cut these, put them in your basement in water, let them start to sprout and give them to the birds. There's really no limit. It's just trying to keep them busy. With rose-breasted cockatoos, you take a big pail of sand and you mix in finch seed with it and you pour some of this on a cookie pan. Let the bird evolve. Let the bird do behaviors that were natural to it in the wild where they're, they're literally foraging for grass seeds on the ground. So you mix some, some, some white river sand or some white sand with finch seed and you put it on a cookie sheet and the bird will begin to dig and and chew, and it keeps it busy for many hours. We need to get these birds to understand their birds, and first and foremost, and try to replicate some of the natural behaviors. Right, to bring in 
their wild, uh, their natural wild behavior into their domestic life. Yes. And, you know, you don't have to live in, we live in South Florida, so therefore we literally live in a jungle. Or we had a great jungle before Hurricane Irma, which really uh, caused a lot of destruction here. We lost a lot, a lot of our, our, our trees. But I can still walk around and get palm seeds and coconuts and things like this that we can give our birds and keep them busy. It's a constant, constant job to keep them entertained. That's so great. I can hear your phone ringing. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and some people think that, um, you know, I'm still at work. (laughs) Okay, before you go, tell us about curing beak and feather disease with echinacea. There's there's been some interesting, yeah. You can sign off and and let you uh, go to bed and get better. I know you're not feeling good. No, I I flew back from, um, from Europe on Friday, and I had a very hectic week of work. So I, I am sure that that and the stress and the varying time, and then the airline lost my luggage, so I normally don't carry a coat with me. My coat was in a luggage, in the luggage, and therefore I get to Europe, and it was very frigid, and I had a short sleeve. Uh, you know, my mind thought I was still in Florida. Um, my body uh, said, you're not in Florida. So there's been some interesting work being done in, in India, where they're taking lorikeets with beak and feather and they're putting them in echinacea and they're actually getting, um, they're controlling the virus so that the bird responds. Now, the risk is obviously that that bird will remain positive. You're not killing the virus, but you're getting the bird's body to respond to it. And what I think it shows is that, geez, there's a lot of this natural stuff that we can use on our birds that could help them overcome many of the, of the pathogens that they can be afflicted with, but also to buy time while we find, while some research goes on and we can find real solutions to the problem. You know, we try, I try, for example, to use Moringa. Moringa, it's spelled M-O-R-I-N-G-A. It is, it's a powder you can buy it at any health food store. And that's far better supplement than um, some of the bird vitamins. One, because it's natural. It, uh, you, you can't overdose it. If you can get the pods, and many, many Indian uh, markets will sell the pods. They call it um, uh, oh, drumstick plant. Uh, and then they look like giant green beans. The birds love them. They will, in fact, they so like Moringa that when we cut branches, they literally leave a bagasse. They suck all the juices out of it and leave it. So we need to look at a lot of these very natural things for not only improving health, but also for treating uh, diseases. Yes. And listening audience, we're going to have more of Tony Silva and more of his great knowledge and experience. And Tony, go Yes. Thank you. You know, it would be good to have, um, and, and I always do this when I lecture, and, you know, um, I try to lecture four or five times a year. Sometimes it's very difficult because of my work commitments, obviously my family and my own birds. Mm-hmm. But it's always good to have a few questions sent in that we can address because you tend to find that most questions 
like for example, when I go to India, I know that about 30% of my questions will be diet related. Another 30% will involve the African gray and the rest are a little bit of everything else. When I lecture in, in Europe, it's often how much cold can these birds take? And that's a very interesting uh, field because they have, they have a tremendous tolerance for cold, but they need dietary adjustments. They need to be able to protect their feet. Um, we were worried, you know, we, when we first, uh, built our aviary, we were, we were exposed and it can get down into the forties in Florida. So all of our birds, whether they are, um, two females, two males or a pair have a nest box so they can go in. And it was amazing that one day we had frost, um, which is very unusual, but we had it and all the birds were bathing in their water that day. It was like, ah, this is springtime. It's great. So they have tremendous tolerance of cold. So there's lots of different things that we can discuss that will apply to different people in the country, in different parts of the country. I'm your host, Mike Kiger. Over 30 years ago, I worked in a major franchise pet store as a bird salesman, where I learned some basic bird behavior training and grooming. There were birds in the store that could not be sold as they were too vicious or afraid of people. They often bit people that tried to handle them. I still remember thinking that it would have been so great if people could have enjoyed those birds instead of struggling with them. Since then, I've helped some friends and neighbors with their birds along the way in my life. About seven years ago, some friends that have seen me work with birds encouraged me to develop my bird experience with exotic birds into a business. KC Bird Whisper International are dedicated to the enjoyment of pet birds and promotion of related products, services, and events. I hope you enjoy KC Bird Whisper International productions and support our efforts to provide rich, informative media to the avian public and people thinking about getting a bird. Please visit www.birdtalkradio.com again soon and enjoy our internet radio broadcast of Bird Talk Live Online and our podcast on podbean.com. I'm your host, Mike Kiger. Thank you for tuning in today.